0: Sixth season of the Minor League Baseball podcast, and uh, never a weirder season preview uh, in our long and illustrious history. As we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Ron, Sam Dykstra in, uh, in New York City, and uh, two special guests on with us who we will get to here in just a moment. Hi, Sam.
1: Hi, Tyler. How are you? Happy opening week. Yeah. And so far that it is opening week here as we, we sit here recording in July 22nd.
0: Yeah, we're recording on Wednesday. Um, Coming up on Thursday, the Major League Baseball 2020 regular season begins uh, for four teams. The uh, Yankees and Nationals will open play at 7.08 Eastern time on Thursday evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, You could probably flip that on. And then uh, coming up later on in the evening, the the West Coast rivalry Giants-Dodgers will be at 10.08 Eastern time. Um, and in one of those cities is one of our special guests today. That is Josh Jackson. Kelsey Hennigan also in New York. As the uh, the four uh, opening day season preview amigos have returned for uh, a late July season preview. Uh, what what is happening? Hi everyone. Hola. Hello. Yeah. Hello.
2: <laughs> Hello, you call us amigos, so I thought I wanted to. Ah, that works. I regretted it immediately.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> so we uh every year we ahead of opening day on the minor league side, we give you our predictions for the minor league baseball season. And uh, for the last, you know, 5 years of this podcast that's been very normal and as we have discovered in 2020, uh, nothing is normal. So, we have no minor league season to preview, but what we do have is a a very strange uh, truncated major league campaign that potentially could be one of the most prospect laden seasons that we have ever seen um and that is due to some of the roster elements there'll be 30 man rosters to open the season 28 man rosters two weeks later and then down to the 26 man roster that was planned for 2020 and beyond uh two weeks after that we have seen a lot of top prospects guys who we would not have expected to see in major league ballparks uh this stage of their career who have already been there through summer camp but through exhibition games who have made some uh pretty impressive uh impressions on their organizations and on fans and observers of uh of these teams but There are a lot of unknowns as we go into the 2020 season, so we are going to start uh, some of these predictions, but Sam, just kind of give us an an explanation of what exactly these predictions mean. You and I were talking earlier about how there is still some debate, even in the stats community, of how these things are going to be tabulated uh, with the way stats go, with the way service time and eligibility for awards go, and all that type of stuff. There's a lot still kind of being sussed out before opening day.
1: Yeah. Um, there's, there's still a lot up in the air and some of those we'll have answers for hopefully, you know, before opening day happens. Um, we don't have them yet. So I'll, I'll provide them at some point. I know that sounds a little cryptic, but um, you know, by the time opening day happens, we might have some answers, but in terms of these categories uh, you know, we're going to go through them one by one, all of us, will, will figure out an order here. Um, but we're, what we're considering for these categories are guys who are prospects right now, as we sit here, you know, T-minus one day until opening day. Uh, Guys who still have rookie eligibility, they're still ranked prospects. Maybe, you know, we'll be talking about dark horses for rookies of the year, and maybe some of you guys don't have ranked prospects for the rookies of the year. That would be exciting. But anybody who still has rookie eligibility will be considered for this list. Now, it's not, you know, if somebody exhausts their rookie eligibility in this year, uh, does that take them off? No, That all we're considering right now is somebody who might be ranked in the top 100. Um, So because we're only talking about the major leagues this season, unfortunately with the 2020 minor league season being canceled, um, you know, we're only, we're only talking about the majors. We're normally talking about who wins the Joe Bauman home run award or who's going to lead the minor leagues in strikeouts or something like that. We're not going to be able to do that. So, um, but these are just among prospects that. So if you want to go to pipeline, follow along, with rank guys there, or go to milb.com and bring up player pages. Follow along there as, as we're talking about names. Uh, you can see some of the stats before you do that. But yeah, we're we're just talking about prospects this this week. You won't hear MVP discussions, Cy Young discussions, stuff like that.
0: And uh, unfortunately, as we pointed out in last week's episode of the show, uh, Josh is not able to pick Casey Golden this year for the uh, the prospect home run champion. It might I mean, not he stop him. if he wanted he to. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know. Casey Golden's still out there. He's just not in a 60-man group. Josh, is that all right?
3: Don't, don't
0: fence me in, that's all <laughs> nice say about that. So here are the categories that we are selecting. We're going to select uh, four players, sort of, for Rookie of the Year. We're going to select a, a front runner and a dark horse candidate from each league. Uh, then the Prospect home run champion. The, we'll call that the, the Casey Golden Award this year. Um, the prospect strikeout champions. So those are the highest totals among players who on opening day are prospects. So by the end of the day, you know, we were talking uh, Sam and I, before we started recording, you could technically still log a certain amount of at bats this year, uh, based on the way the, the stats and qualifications are right now, uh, win rookie of the year, and then still be considered a rookie next year. It's probably not the way it's actually going to go down, but all that is, uh, is still being figured out. Um, then a few other questions. Who will make a surprise Major League debut this year among prospects? Which team will use their youth to surprise the most? Uh, And surprise in that is kind of a a subjective term. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win a a division or World Series, but we'll discuss that as well. Uh, Which prospect will go viral? And the World Series champion for 2020. So let's kick it off with Rookies of the Year. And uh, Sam, why don't you, you get us started?
1: yeah sure um so yeah so when if you want no no uh that's this um yeah no when you're looking at rookies of the year this year it it, we were talking about this off mic before gavin lux's demotion i guess to the alternate site roster uh for the dodgers kind of throws that side completely into a whack uh so we're only playing 60 games this year there's only gonna be limited spots it's gonna be essentially who can get the most major league time. Um, so for the NL, I went with Dylan Carlson as we sit here right now, it's still possible Dylan Carlson gets sent down. Uh, but the Cardinals I think are even more pressing than the, the Dodgers. There was a fun story this week from fan I don't know if you guys saw this about the, Do- the Dodgers have used an equipment manager or a clubby, uh, in left field at certain times. And, and it led to some thoughts of like, could the Dodgers still make the pro, the playoffs if they had, uh, you know, this 30 year old clubby in left field. And the, the fact is they would be really close. The Dodgers are such a heavy favorite in the NL West and, you know, to win the NL outright that they can get by with Enrique Hernandez. They can get by with even Max Muncie at second base. They can find ways to, to allow Gavin Lux to get right, uh, you know, at, at the alternate site at USC without needing to bring him up now. Service time is going to be an issue with him. I get that. And uh, he did log some service time last year when he was called up. Um, So if if they are playing a service time game, which would be a real shame, uh, it would be even longer until he gets called up. But Gavin Lux was kind of the out and out leader, but they don't need him up as much. So the Cardinals, who I think are in a loaded NL Central, they're the defending NL Central champions, They're going to need all the talent they can get to hold off the Cubs, to hold off the Brewers, to hold off the Reds who made a lot of offseason moves. Dylan Carlson, from everything I've seen, everything I've heard, has been one of their best outfielders, both in spring training and in summer camp when things resumed. Uh, They're going to need him. He had a breakout year last year. Uh, He can hit home runs. He can steal bases. Where he's going to fit in that outfield, we'll have to wait and see. It's probably going to be in a corner spot. But I think Dylan Carlson will get enough at-bats, and he has enough skills One thing I I really think about these types of awards is how reliant on wins above replacement war they are. Dylan Carlson is going to provide you value on the base pass. He's going to provide you value. And defensively, he's going to hit for average. He has a chance to hit for power. We'll see how that translates to the top level. I just think that collection of tools is going to be good enough for him to win the NL Rookie of the Year, especially if Gavin Lux isn't playing you know is only if he's going to be limited to like 45 games or so that's going to be a real detriment to his chances. The AL I think the runaway leader right now has to be Luis Robert. Luis Robert signed a major league deal in the offseason. We were all expected him to be the major league center fielder for the White Sox on opening day. Uh, everything that he's done since has indicated that that would be the case. Maybe even if he hadn't signed the contract, although who knows again, service time It gets really tricky. Uh, He, you know, we're talking about viral later, uh, but he's gone viral several times already in summer camp for his home runs. Um, Jason Benetti talked about him hitting it into the, uh, the shrubbery in in center field in Chicago. Um, You know, he's got more tools than that. He's a fast runner. He is a gifted center fielder as well. That'll help him in the war discussion. Uh, Luis Robert, all the pieces are there. Plenty of playing time. He's going to be on a good team. He could be, one of their top three players almost immediately uh i think Luis robert has to be the front runner in the al we'll do front runners for now so i'll pass it on to you guys but we'll circle around to our dark horses next so i guess tyler who who are your picks in the AL? Ah,
0: uh it's gonna be super lame because mine are uh, somewhat similar i have a very good dark horse pick uh in the in the national league i thought maybe you would go with dylan carlson so i did go to gavin lux um You know, I think he could be put on a a big league roster six days into the season and be the guy that everybody expects him to be. And uh, the Dodgers are a a team that just rakes in awards. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, the Dodgers had a dude win the National League Rookie of the Year, like basically every year. Remember, it was like Nomo and Todd Hollinsworth and Mike Piazza, not in that order. Um, And then uh, Luis Robert in the American League. But I'm very proud of my dark horse picks. So I'm going to get to my dark horse picks. Uh, When we do, I'll be excited about them. One of them is kind of a cop-out, but the other one I'm, I'm excited about. Um, Kelsey, fire away.
2: All right, yeah, I uh, was kind of similar. I also did Luis Robert and Gavin Lux. I debated a lot between Carlson and Lux. Um, I had Carlson first, but Lux is just more of a complete hitter. He has, you know hits for average better than Carlson does, even though their power is more comparable. Um, yeah, he hits for power, he hits for average. I think he just has a way of electrifying fans that – this rookie of the year award normally brings in. Um, and that big market of LA will only help. Um, and then, yeah, I also pick Luis Robert. He's got the bat. He's got the contract, you know, like Sam said, he has the attention of so many fans on Twitter and, you know, plus he has the speed and the defense. So I just think he'll use all those five tools to his advantage though. As we were talking, I started to think, well, maybe Evan White could actually like come out of nowhere and run away with this, but, uh, I did not go with that. I'm I'm going chalk. Louis Robert, Gavin
3: Lux. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. I, I mean, it's just <laughs> we're all I wish. You, yeah. I mean, we do have the dark horse thing coming up, but I mean, yeah. I think Gavin Lux just um, he's got too much going on for him to to be sort of slowed down by those those factors that were uh, not slowed down, but stopped by those factors that. Um, Sam mentioned, which you know they, those are legitimate factors, but I just think Lux is a is a special player, um, and you know USC is a wonderful place, so <laughs> I'm sure he's going to click right into into um, into form pretty quickly, and and we'll be seeing him in the big leagues pretty quick. Luis Robert, I think, is a player who I think pretty much all of us have been. Um, had whether consciously or not um thinking about as a rookie of the year candidate since since he signed basically in like two thousand seventeen he's just that sort of he, it's the five tool thing but it's also like the electricity thing it's like at every tool he's he's not just um good he's special it's it's like you watch him and you can see that he is a special player um so you know that's these are two really exciting players, so I don't feel so bad that it's such a boring pick um, that, that we all made it, except for, for Sam being a little bit bolder with Carlson, um, who's also a great pick, I think. Should I just launch right into Dark Horse?
0: Yeah, yeah, let's go uh, like fantasy draft uh, snake method. you Go for
3: it. Yeah, so Dark Horse is a tricky one. I mean, yeah, and it's another sort of concept that when you apply it to this year is weird because it's like does it mean a player who's like maybe not going to be um you know in in the big leagues at all and he sneaks up is it uh yeah so anyway i i mean yeah at first i was like well joe adele can you even call joe adele a dark horse candidate for like yeah because you know his status would be the one thing you know whether or not he's in the big leagues for a while is like the thing that is he a dark horse or just like a solid candidate um but so you know, let's get let's get a little bit bolder than that. Let's um, and I'm going to say Mackenzie Gore will be my dark horse rookie of the year candidate. Um, both because of his, I, I you know consider it a dark horse because of his inexperience, um, his his youth, and his not necessarily likelihood of getting a huge amount of or even any maybe big league done. Um, but you know the Padres are in a position where. You, it's not that hard to imagine um, them saying, geez, we could use, some, you know, something has come up here, something's come up there. We could use some some real reinforcements in this rotation. Um, and we are actually kind of contending in this quote-unquote sprint season. Um, let's go with Gore. And then it's also not hard to imagine Mackenzie Gore being Mackenzie Gore um, at the big league level. So there's my dark horse. Kelsey, fire away.
2: All right. I actually picked two because I picked a, an American League One and a National League One, um, but they're both pitchers and they're both not on contenders, so I thought those things helped to make them more dark horsey, uh, even though I know Sirocco won last year, uh, but in light of Wednesday's news, I picked Brady Singer for the Royals. Um, the Royals announced that he's going to make his major league debut on Saturday, so playing up to the point we mentioned earlier about who gets the most playing time during the short season to like prove their status or their, you know, campaign. I think that Brady Singer, he'll be pitching from the beginning. He has that sinker slider combo that just fools hitters with ease. Um, you know, I think Royals fans will just love him rally around him, just like the Gators fans did. Um, or sorry, the ACE fans, Oakland. Um, I think he has a fun name. I think, It's a good baseball name, so I think that also attracts fans to grab him. Um, So, yeah, I think that Brady Singer of the Royals will be that one. And then for the Marlins, I picked Sixto Sanchez because I thought that was quite dark or at least just hot take. Um, He has that 70-grade fastball. Um, He's at the alternate training site right now, but he still could come up at some point. Um, I know he came over from the Phillies in that Ramuto trade in February of last year. And after getting promoted to double-A last season, he just got even better with a 276 ERA in 20 starts. Um, He's another guy with personality. He's got his great hair, lettuce, as the minor leaguers love to say. So I think that he maybe could uh, be the rookie of the year.
3: I would love to see that one. I think that would be one of the most fun storylines that this weird season could produce. That Um, would be a really good one. Yeah.
0: Um, I, uh, in the National League, have a, a different sort of pick. So I'm going to talk about my American League one first, and that is friend of the show, Jared Kalanick of the Seattle Mariners. So I know he's not played above Double A, um, but made an impression in, uh, in camp. He's not going to start the season on the big league roster. But uh, Jared Kellenick, I just feel like this may provide an opportunity for Jared Kalanick to uh, push himself into Seattle and never leave. Uh, with how talented he is and how weird this season is. I feel like there's a chance that maybe he just gets uh, to the major league level, skips over uh, a a in any official sense entirely. And then all of a sudden we just see Jerry Kellinick as a, a major league regular going forward. Um, kind of a, I don't want to say a cop-out answer, but certainly a different answer on the national league side for me, because he is technically not a prospect, but Uh, New Cincinnati Reds acquisition Shogo Akiyama comes over uh, after a nine-season career in Nippon professional baseball in Japan. And I feel like if anybody is going to be – well served to jump into a really weird big league schedule like this choco already had a very strange last year uh he's a a guy who's familiar with uh international competition and now being posted and coming over here and the the process of transitioning to spring training and then a pandemic and a layoff and now summer camp and i feel like he could have a very good year he's not going to be somebody who comes over and hits 40 home runs a season his career high uh, in Japan for a season was 25 which probably translates more to like 15 home runs uh, in the states but if he can get on base pretty well which is something that he did really well in Japan uh, and can just be a steady guy this is such a strange season maybe we're not going to see some massive prospect performance uh, it might be a circumstance where a guy who's a little bit older Nakiyama's Akiyama's 32 uh, slides into that conversation so there's my there's my cop out for the National League
1: Sam. Tyler, I'm actually kind of surprised you left this lane open for me, so I'm going ah, to take Casey it. Casey Golden. Casey Golden, yeah. No, we're staying in the same organization, though, uh, for Dark Horse. I'm going to go with Sam Hilliard. Okay. Uh, and for both of these, well, I, I almost took Nick Solak for my Dark Horse in the AL. I didn't, and I'll get to my AL, AL pick in a second. But for this, I wanted to go with guys who have actually performed in the majors before. Sam Hilliard got a brief call-up at the end of last year. got in 77 at-bats. He slugged 649 in that time. Hit seven home runs and 77 at-bats. Had an OPS of 1.006. I know what you're yelling at home. Tyler, I know what you're yelling. Coors. Coors, thank you. Now externally, you're yelling that. (laughs) But uh, yes, that's obviously plays into that somehow. Um, But still, this is a guy who... Uh, hit pretty well at, at AAA last year at an 893 OPS there. 35 home runs, which was a pretty big breakout for him. How can he carry that forward? We'll see. But somebody who already has major league experience, already has a lot of confidence at the major league level. It sounds like he's going to be the starting left fielder, right, Tyler? Like, he's in that mix. I know Tapia's in there as well. They. They're trying to figure out that outfield mix, but if yeah, he can he was, rise above, Cam
0: Hilliard was the uh, he was the starter last night. Um, Tapio was uh, was DHing, so he's he's definitely in the mix to be an everyday guy.
1: Exactly, and I think I think that DH role also kind of helps here uh, with, with the Rockies as well. We're expanding the DH this year. National League takes on the DH. I don't think there's going to be a traditional DH for the Rockies necessarily, um, especially after Ian Desmond uh, opted out of the season for very honorable reasons, but. Uh, Yeah, Sam Hilliard, he'll get his chance to get at-bats if he can continue to show that power. This is somebody who who also stole 20-plus bags in each of the previous four seasons uh, in the Meyer Leagues. Power plus speed, that's going to help him there. In the AL, I did chicken out of going Nick Solak, who is not a top 100 prospect, and I I went instead. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) listen, Jackson. I'm (laughs) assuming that was Jackson. That sounded like a Jackson chicken, but that could have been a
2: It sounded like a Jackson chicken.
1: Uh, Kelsey I think you were Vera the one who Jackson
3: said,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kelsey I think you said you might have Thought about going with Evan White Well I'm yes. going to go with Evan White here So I guess it's not as much uh, a dark horse If we've already yeah. mentioned him on the show um, But I, I feel like he's gotten buried Between Kelnick doing really well Julio Rodriguez Just his presence in camp Now he's shut down with a, a wrist fracture But I feel like it Evan White gets so overshadowed by the other bigger names in Mariner's camp that we forget sometimes that he's going to be their starting first baseman. Like Luis Robert, he signed a deal in the offseason to make him the the opening day first baseman for Seattle. Um, Again, I go back to my Ward discussion. and I know first base, there's a pretty high bar you have to clear offensively. He did pretty well last year at AA Arkansas. But beyond that, his defense, he might be like a Nolan Arenado or a Matt Chapman across the diamond at first base uh the way they talk about him it reminds me a lot of what people used to say about cody bellinger and i know cody bellinger is now an outfielder but the athleticism that white shows at first base might be truly elite and there's a chance he wins a gold glove this year and if he wins a gold glove he's automatically going to be in that rookie of the year conversation if he can just be a pretty good hitter i think that'll put him over the top now Luis robert could also win a gold glove and this point is moot but um Evan White brings so many different tools to the table other than just being your traditional slugging first baseman that I think that could help him. He'll get plenty of at-bats. He'll get plenty of playing time. He'll be there day one. He just ticks all the boxes for me at a time when he's overshadowed. So you can call me a chicken for choosing a top 100 guy, but I think Evan White uh, at least has a shout here. Okay,
0: we're going to go to a category that I feel like we've already heard uh, many of the names that are going to be selected for this category, the minor league uh, or the prospect home run champion. So a player who is a prospect to start the season, who's going to finish the 2020 major league season with the most home runs. Uh, Sam, go ahead.
1: Well, I got to get myself off mute there. Uh, yeah, so Luis Robert is going to be my pick here. Um, again, just because of the, the power he's been showing in camp uh, is, is about what we would expected, to be honest, but um, just the way he's slugging the ball left and right, he seems very comfortable in a big league stadium. That certainly helps. He hit 32 home runs last year. It's still crazy to me that he hit none in 2018. I know he was dealing with a bunch of injuries and he only got in 50 games, but the guy didn't go deep at all and then hit 32 last year and you watch him now and he looks like He's capable of hitting 40 home runs right away. If we were playing a 162 game season, um, you know what what that works out to be this year. I'm not sure, but uh, the only other person that came to mind for me as somebody who could really compete for this. And apologies if I'm swiping a name from one of you guys, but is Kevin Crone uh, with the D Dbacks? Uh, DH really opens up a spot for him. He was the minor league leader in home runs last year. He slugged over 700 in the PCL, really offensive friendly environment. Uh, I, I understand that, but Luis Robert's going to get the at bats. He's got the pop right away. He's showing it very quickly. Uh, I, I find it difficult to find somebody who's going to hit more home runs than him. But uh, Tyler, I guess you're next. Is, is there somebody you have other than Robert?
0: I'm going with Dylan Carlson. Uh, I know how much he has opened people's eyes uh, in camp, and I don't know. I like. I've always liked Dylan Carlson's kind of complete offensive profile. I think the the odds-on favorite would be Luis Robert. Uh, but I don't know something about Dylan Carlson I feel like he's gonna just put together a very quietly steady year and again we're talking about a 60 game season I mean somebody could conceivably win this with like eight homers so uh, it's gonna be a weird one but that's why that's my pick I'm going with Dylan Carlson of the uh, of the St. Louis Cardinals uh,
2: yeah, I, yeah I picked Dylan Carlson too yeah um, I know I mean Sam talked him up uh for rookie of the year. And here we are picking him. Um, you know, He's a switch hitter. He hits a little more to the right side, but you know, Bush is pretty equal in terms of left and right. So I think that it'll be the perfect place for him to just go wild. Like he did last season when he broke up and really broke out and really burst onto the scene for us. So he's definitely my home run champion.
1: One thing I think we should also point out that's weird about this, and this is a point for both Robert and Carlson and maybe even more so. Uh, well, Equally for both of them, I guess, but because of the nature of this season in which teams are only playing their geographic regions. So, you know, the East is playing, the AL East is playing the NL East, AL Central versus the NL Central. Somebody like Dylan Carlson might've had a different schedule. Now this year he gets to go up against the Tigers a bunch. He gets to go up against the Royals a bunch. Those are teams he wouldn't play that much. And those are two of the teams, you know, there are reasons to be excited for that. And maybe we'll get into that later with young talent, but they're two of the bottom teams in all of baseball and he gets to face them more than he would have otherwise. So I think that's only going to help him produce better numbers. Uh, it's something we have to keep in mind as we're evaluating going forward but in terms of raw stats, I think that's, that's a big point in his favor. Josh, your take.
3: Well, so I, I actually I, you know, obviously, yeah, at least Robert, but um, <laughs> let's be interesting. Um, I did give Evan White a good hard think uh here. And then I thought I'd get even more interesting. Um Austin Hayes. Uh huh. he's gonna get the at bats, I think. To as Tyler, you pointed out, it's a pretty short season. Um and he seems like I mean he's he should be hitting at the top of the Orioles lineup from the get go, which will give him more opportunities to to hit more home runs. He's never had like um oh he has actually (laughs) he did hit 32 home runs in the 2017 minor league season across um the the, uh carolina league and the eastern league but i mean since then he's been a little bit quieter and hasn't really gotten the playing time um across a a whole season to to approach those kind of numbers but he's got the potential certainly and he's going to get the at-bats he's you know sam mentioned the the geographic factor um he's gonna be playing I mean he would anyway, but he'll he'll be in Fenway. He'll probably he'll be in Citizens Bank Park more um than he otherwise would have been. I yeah, I think I think Austin Hayes is a name that could surprise you there.
0: All right, the pitching version of this, the strikeout leader among prospects, Josh, go for it.
3: Well so this is another one where I'm like, is it too obvious to say Nate Pearson?
2: No.
1: I guess Nate no. Pearson. I'm gonna say no. <laughs>
3: So,
2: okay. which is probably telling him for the rest of our pick. Yep.
3: Nate Pearson, then. <laughs> okay, there you go.
0: Wait, I just want to. Did you two also pick Nate Pearson? Yes. Oh, I'm the only non. No, Nate I didn't Pearson. pick. I didn't oh, pick oh. Nate Pearson. Okay. No. okay. 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 All right. Um, Kelsey, go for it then.
2: Okay. Yeah, I was just also picked Nate Pearson. I'm sure Josh was just about to say, you know, that 80 grade fastball. He can reach triple digits, which is pretty exciting. Um also you know like you were talking about who you're going to play he's going to be playing the AL and NL East teams uh, which include all those Yankee sluggers I love to strike out plus Acuna Alonzo and Harper were three of the top four guys to strike out the most last season and Pearson's going to be facing all of them Um, you know even if he starts the year with Toronto or if he doesn't he'll be up quickly and I think he'll make great work with them at PNC Park or Buffalo or wherever it may be Nate Pearson will make it his home, and he will excite fans with all of his strikeouts.
0: Uh, Sam, I have a weird feeling that you and I picked the same guy, but I'm not sure. Uh, I Should we Casey count to three?
3: And... Oh, no,
0: I just ruined it. Nope. Nope.
4: <laughs> we didn't <laughs> pick the same Oh, version. we
0: didn't? Okay, good. Um, Casey Mize is not going to open in Detroit. Not really a surprise, but uh, it looks like he may be called up um, relatively quickly, Uh, and it just Casey Mize has the whole thing I mean the whole damn thing Uh, and I think from the standpoint of getting a guy who's got uh, a an above average fastball and slider and his splitter is ridiculous and what he's already done in his body of work um, there's something about the mood of this season where I feel like for teams like the Tigers and maybe, you know, to an extent the White Sox or the Royals or some of these other uh, central teams, yeah, you might not be ready to compete right away, but who knows what's going to happen in a 60-game season. So the, the energy that's injected from some of these younger guys uh, I think could be – you throw Casey Mize out there every five days, all of a sudden you feel like you've got a chance in a way that maybe you wouldn't have felt like if it was 2020 and Casey Mize was on track to be, you know, in Erie or in Toledo or whatever. And maybe you weren't going to see him until September uh, or August or sometime later in the season. Um, that's my guy. I'm going with, with Casey Mize of the Tigers.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody that hasn't been mentioned yet, thankfully. Um, you know the one thing you guys mentioned about Pearson is that he pitched in Fenway the other night, but it, it doesn't sound like he's going to start the year with Toronto, or you know, like Kelsey said Buffalo slash Pittsburgh slash Baltimore, wherever they're going to end up playing. Um, it, Casey Mize, I think that's a that's a great idea. You know, he needs to get innings, but the Tigers have already optioned him or reassigned him. He's not even on the forty man roster yet. Uh, so my guy is going to be Hazelus Luzardo. Uh, mm-hmm. If you were to ask me this question before summer camp started, I probably would have said either Luzardo or Puck uh, in that A's system. Unfortunately, we found out A.J. Puck has a shoulder strain. He'll be out at least two weeks. Uh, Jesus Luzardo, unfortunately, tested positive for COVID-19, and he was on the shelf himself for a little while. He's back now. The A's have already said he's going to open up in the bullpen, uh, but there's a full expectation that he will move into the rotation at some point. So even if he's just going to be pitching in the pen to get built up for the season. He's still gonna get plenty of strikeouts there. And it could be those, you know, three strikeouts in an inning and the third or two strikeouts here, three strikeouts there, that end up making the difference in, in this category just because you miss a week in a 60 game season, that's a 10th of the season already. Um, So I I like Luzardo here. I I do think he has the stuff. His changeup is really special. His fastball is really special from that left side. The guy hits his spots incredibly well. Uh, He should be a starter for Oakland. He's a big piece of their plan and they're not going to want to waste him at the alternate site to get things figured out. They'll let him do that in the bullpen as well. But I think by, you know, the second week of August at the very latest, uh, we're talking about him in terms of maybe being that team's ace that quickly. Uh, And once that happens, it wouldn't surprise me to start seeing eight, 10, 12 strikeout games uh, for him. So Hayes Luzardo is going to be my pick uh, for the year, but Pearson has the stuff to do it. Mize especially has the stuff to do it. We just need to see them get those innings and, and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that happens in, in the first couple of weeks. And this is a real race down the stretch.
0: Next one is uh, an interesting category. And again, one that's somewhat subjective, I guess. But who makes a surprise debut among top prospects? Who will be a surprise person to see on a major league roster in 2020, Sam?
1: Yeah, this might again, he's a top 100 prospect. So I feel like any top 100 prospect should kind of be in play here. Uh, With no minor league season, the only place you're going to get innings, the only place you're going to get real meaningful at-bats is in the majors, really. Uh, Unless you're somebody like, you know, Jake Berger, who I did a story on, who's going to play indie ball. Uh, playing at the alternate site is great. There's simulated games there. You're going to see different pitching than you would just sitting at home, but it's not quite the same knowing this is a game that counts. Uh, so with that in mind here, uh, I, I think any top 100 prospect is in play, but it would probably surprise some if Braylon Marquez left-handed pitcher mm. in the Chicago Cubs organization were to get the call up. He's only 21. Uh, as of right now, uh, he, Pitched last year at Class A South Bend and Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach. Put up really special numbers at at both places. Marquez throws really hard from the left side. MLB Pipeline gave his uh, fastball an 80 grade. Uh, There's a chance, you know, he's sitting uh, high 90s. Wouldn't be surprised if he can hit triple digits in a shorter abbreviated place. That NL central is going to be really tough for the Cubs. I think to climb, we already mentioned the reds are really improved this year. Some people see them as the favorites. The Cardinals are the defending champs. They are right there neck and neck with the reds. The Brewers aren't really going away. They still have Christian Yelich and uh, maybe he can be a little bit healthier than he was a year ago. Uh, The, the Cubs are still talented. They still have Javi Baez. They still have Chris, Bryant, they still have Rizzo, you know, Contreras, they have the building blocks there. Would you want to let Marquez's electric arm sit on the sidelines? I don't think he's going to come up and be a starter by any means, but he could be a great lefty specialist, allow him to get some innings, allow him to see Wrigley for the first time. Yeah, it's a heck of a jump to go straight from the Carolina League to the majors, but when you have that velocity, you're somewhat ready. And if the Cubs, you know, are within two game reach of a wild card spot or even the central lead um, to have one of your best arms, leaving them behind in South Bend where their alternate site is would feel like a mistake to me. So Braylon Marquez might not be on your radar now, but don't be surprised if he is entering September or so. Uh, So he's my pick as a potential surprise call. I think Tyler, you're next, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go last to see if anybody else picks my guy, but, uh, but I'll throw it out there. Um, I'm taking Wander Franco. Uh, who's the number one? And based on nobody going, oh, I'm assuming that I'm the only one who took
1: Wander see, Franco. See, I, I almost wanted to make this its own category. So I'm glad we're talking about this. Like I'll, I'll, Josh and Kelsey, if, they, if he was your pick, you can speak up. But do you guys actually think just straight up yes or no? Do you think he's going to debut? So Tyler's a yes. <laughs> Josh and Kelsey, Um, how do you feel? No. No.
5: (laughs) Losers.
2: It's a weird thing because it's like, you know, my first thought was like, oh, well, you know, the Rays are a contender, so they don't need to mess with it. But then also a team like, you know, the Orioles that aren't a contender, I'm like, there's no reason to bring up a top guy. So, I don't know. I just think don't rush it.
0: My thought process for uh, for Wander Franco dates back five years. The guy who was – not quite as highly touted as Juan de Franco because very few are, but number five years ago in the world series, when Alberto Mondesi made his big league debut as a pinch runner in a world series game, um, Mondesi was one of the highest touted highest ranked prospects in baseball at the time. Didn't really seem like there was a route for him to get to the major leagues. And then all of a sudden there he was uh, playing in the world series for the Kansas city Royals. And now it's sort of funny, but sometimes we just kind of lose track of guys. Um, you know, especially after they graduate to the major leagues and look at Alberto Mondesi's last couple of seasons, it's like, oh, he's actually been pretty good. He stole forty-three bases last year. Um, the uh, the thought process that I have with Wander Franco is, if you're the Rays and you can catch lightning in a bottle this year and win the division, um, you know, much like the the Royals did. Not to say I think the Royals were much more of a, a surprise a few years ago. The Rays have been building something really consistent for a long time now. Um, but if you can catch that lightning in a bottle and beat out the, the Yankees and uh, win that division and make it into the postseason or make a run toward the World Series, why not get all of your most talented hands on deck? And even if he does not have a route to get immediate playing time uh, in the major leagues, the Rays are obviously very set uh, at shortstop with Willie Adamas. But if he has an opportunity to be on a roster and be on the field, uh, I feel like it's very difficult to turn down somebody like Wander Franco being an option for you. So I'm not um, saying that it is the likeliest thing to happen, but if it were to be the pick of the most surprising debut as this category states, then I'm going Wander Franco, top
1: prospect in baseball. And I, I, I didn't even answer the question I threw out to to Josh and Kelsey before, but. Oh yeah. Do you. I'm a tentative. No. <laughs> I'm a real tentative because everything you say makes total sense. Like the Rays, how often do the Rays really get to be world series contenders? And I feel right. like they are this year. Uh, if there is a team that is built to get through 60 games and have to tinker with a roster and, and have the right guys around and be able to build a 30 man roster, that's going to be strong from one to 30. Uh, it's the Rays. And, yeah, if they're up two games on the Yankees and have a real chance, you know, glass is looking good. Snell's looking good. Charlie Morton's looking good to the point where they can roll those three guys in the playoffs and really make a run at this. Uh, you know, this could be an, a historic season for the Tampa Bay Rays and to leave Wander Franco and Port Charlotte feels misguided to that. Cause he right now feels like maybe one of the four best hitters in the organization and four might even be too low. Um, but it's just – he's so young. I, I I feel like you don't want to bring him up only to mess, mess with him. He's probably confident enough to be in the majors. Yeah, I, can tell you I that feel right like
0: now. he is very much unflappable. He's one yeah. of those guys. And, yeah, I mean, he is – he is absurdly young. He debuted in the Appy League at 17 in 2018. Uh, Wander Franco was born on March 1st of 2001, for anybody who's, uh, who wants to feel that way. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously not the most realistic uh, prediction for uh, a debut this year. But if we are talking most surprising predictions, he's my guy. I,
1: I like him. I, I, I like the concept of it. it's, it's It's fun to think about, and it's plausible enough uh, to, to sit on. Uh,
0: That's what, yeah, I'm thinking, I think... what I've written my whole career on, plausible enough. It's, uh, it's plausible enough that this guy can write, even though he's on the same side as people like Josh, who can actually write. Um, I think...
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm, I may be speaking for Kelsey here, too. Kelsey, you can let, let us know. But, yeah, I think I can see the plausible pathway, and that all that all makes sense. But, Sam, you posed, you said, Kelsey, Josh, do you think, yes or no, that this is going to happen this season? And then we both said no, because you said yes or no. And That's then fair. you yep. spent like yep. 25 minutes explaining <laughs> like how it might possibly could maybe happen.
0: Um, what this all lines up to is I accept your apology.
3: Okay. All right. Let's move on. Then. Kelsey, Kelsey, you're you. up. Yeah.
2: Okay. I went outside the top 100. I didn't know if that was a really yeah. or not. Um, but yeah, so I decided to go. At first, I was thinking about this year's draft because like, you know, it's a category we thought about of like who could get up Maybe Torpilson or someone else, um, but then I decided to go to last year's draft to the number 17 overall pick in Jackson Rutledge of the Nationals. Yeah, um, they picked him last year in the first round out of a JUCO in Texas. He has not pitched above Class A Hagerstown, though he did pitch in the SEC for Arkansas his freshman year before transferring to the JUCO. Um, but the Nationals have shown that they like taking a chance, like a few years ago with Juan Soto when he was 19 and only had 23 games above Hagerstown. Now, I know that Jackson Rutledge is no Juan Soto. Um, obviously, he's a pitcher, but there's many other reasons why he's not <laughs> Juan Soto. But I think that he still has potential. I think that the Nationals could still rely on him. The thing about 60 games for me is that, you know, yes, you don't have the dog days the summers for the pitcher, but you also once you lose a pitcher, you don't have much time to get him back. And so I think that pitchers will be really valuable during this time, or especially more uh, than they normally are. Um, he's on the 60 man, you know, he, it's probably just to give him innings because he is such a, he's their number three pick. He was a recent first rounder. Um, but why not? He has a 70 grade fastball that mixes well with his plus slider to shut down hitters he had a 313 ERA in his pro debut last year with like 39 k's and 37 innings across three levels so i went with someone who would be a surprise but i could see it so why not jackson rutledge why not
3: indeed jackson rutledge um i mentioned earlier uh mackenzie gore as you know, he'd be a con- he'd be a contender for rookie of the year if he were probably in the spot to get to make a surprise debut. That's that's you know always with pitchers, it's like you can see a way pretty easily where where you know a surprise could happen. It's also, I mean, it's just so weird to be talking about surprise in the year 2020 um, and making predictions about what would be a surprise and what wouldn't be a surprise. Um, but so I'd say Mackenzie Gore. I also think K Bear Ruiz could. For the Dodgers, the, the catcher, um, there are there are ways in which he could end up um, making an impact with that team defensively. He's a he's a you know well rounded catcher, um, top quality both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, I think he could be a big he he'll be my my surprise debut pick since I already sort of picked Gore for something else, um, and same terms for which team will will use youth to surprise. Um, you know, I don't know, yeah, re- surprise being relative here. Like, can the twins surprise? Are they, um, but I think they can use youth to surprise. <laughs> I think their youth could be a bigger factor uh, with Thorpe and Blankenhorn and, and Rooker, you know, all potentially making a big difference. Maybe even I mean, maybe in this weird season, Alex Kirilov comes into play and, and turns into a huge factor on that team. I think they could be um, a really, really tough team to beat. Um, I think, yeah, I'll stop there. Okay. Right.
2: I like it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I went with the Yankees, actually, because I know that a lot of fans are pretty excited about Clark Schmidt and Davey Garcia this summer camp, um, and they got sent down or to the alternate training site but I think that they could be coming up especially at the Yankees you know I've already said that they're going to be using the opener for the first week I think they'll continue to use that and I think the opener is a good situation for um, these prospects who have been starters for so long and now they they want them to be relievers I think that's a good situation for them to adjust um, the Yankees have already said that Michael King uh, has made the rotation uh, so. That's you know, another big prospect. And then Nick Nelson has been pretty strong option for Boone during summer camp. So I think that the Yankees will you know want to bring up all these pitchers to soak up the information from Goal, from Gary Cole and the rest. Um, plus, I mean, like someone like Albert Abreu could also come up. So I think that while we don't think about the Yankees, I know they're kind of low on Sam's list for his predictions on Toolshed this week. I think that they could potentially use a lot of these young pitchers
0: um, I have uh, relied on just the, the feeling about an organization from all of our conversations about it and two prospects in the organization over the last few months, uh, I went with the Marlins and this is why I kind of preface this before we started the whole segment by saying surprise is very subjective here because I don't expect the Marlins to win the division. Uh, I don't expect the Marlins to be a wild card team, but I do think the Marlins have the potential with all of these young guys. When you look up and down that top 30 from Cisto Sanchez, JJ Bode, a guy we talked to on the podcast, Jazz Chisholm, Jesus Sanchez who had a monster home run uh, last night in Atlanta, Edward Cabrera. Um, there are so many guys in that group that just seem to be, very uh, In a very short time at the major league level, we're all going to know their names. I mean, we do now because we're all prospect nerds, but the, the average baseball fan, I think, is going to realize just how much the Marlins have been building. So while I think the Marlins are, are not a playoff team in 2020, I do think that at the end of the year, you may look at the Marlins and go, man, that team went 29 and 31, and I didn't really know much about them before this year. Um, that's my selection. I just We've talked so often about, hey, look at that Marlins system. they really got a lot going on there. I feel like this year uh, has the potential to, to showcase that.
1: Well, Tyler stole my team. Yes! Um, Which now I know yeah. it's a smart one.
0: If anybody else is picking one, then I'm like, okay, I feel good about that pick. When I pick it alone, I'm like, oh, this was dumb.
1: Well, it's funny that you said, um, you know, like I'm, I'm going to pick this team because I feel like we've talked about them so much. And that's probably reflective of like why we're both picking them here. Um, one, you know, just to piggyback off everything you said, one thing about this team as it's set up right now is that so many of these top prospects are relatively close to the majors. We're not talking about getting really aggressive with somebody like Sixto Sanchez because he did, he did pitch at Double A last year. Even J.J. Boudet, who got a lot of time at Class A Advanced Jupiter, Uh, in 2019, was one of the best college hitters we'd seen, you know, in recent memory at Vanderbilt before that. He's pretty well advanced. There's a reason why they sent him to the FSL that quickly. Jazz Chisholm has already been at double-A. Jesus Sanchez has already been at triple-A. Edward Cabrera's at the upper minors. Braxton Garrett got a very small taste of it. I don't know if he's going to make it there, but Louin Diaz feels like a shrewd move when they picked him up last year. Monte Harrison has been almost the human highlight reel this year in camp. I know there are still significant – swing and miss issues here with him but the other thing about this is that you look at the team and it's pretty well spread out we got pitching prospects here we've got a shortstop in jazz chisholm we've got outfielders in blood uh sanchez and harrison we've got a first baseman in Luan diaz who they even got time at second base i think the other night which was weird because he he's a left-handed thrower uh if you know the marlins want to generate enthusiasm uh, they should at this point, they, they've talked so much about rebuilding and maybe turning the corner. This is the year they can do that. Um, so yeah, while I don't expect them to get past a, a pretty big group, obviously out there in the NL East with the Nats, the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves, all in playoff contention. But if we get to the end of the year and this, this lineup is filled with, you know, uh, uh, Jesus Sanchez and, uh, you know, Sixto Sanchez is getting the ball every fifth day, they could be a sneaky pick to win the division next year which is crazy to think about. And just giving both this team and the, play, the fan base in general that small taste would be really interesting. And if you think like this won't happen, I'll just remind you last year, Ison Diaz uh, got called up by the Marlins late in the season so they, he could get his feet wet. There are a lot of players now who are exactly where Isan Diaz was a year ago, at least in terms of experience and ceiling. Uh, and if they were going to give him the chance, they should give these guys a chance as well in what we know is a very weird season. So I'm not expecting, by any means, Marlins to you know, sneak in and grab a second wild card spot. But there's a lot of reasons to buy stock, and I think we're going to see them that at the top level very soon.
0: All right, we are uh, moving on to our penultimate category. And uh, this is a very 2020 question. Which prospect is likeliest to go viral in this shortened Major League season, Sam?
1: Um, so yeah so go viral could happen in, in many different ways I for think a good Kel- baseball thing
0: not like a Karen Ken thing no no <laughs> is, is a Ken thing a thing now I don't know I mean, seems like a fitting name
1: it does seem like
0: a it is name. now
2: he, he is did now. break up with Barbie so like yeah we could toss him aside
0: so for good baseball viral reasons
1: we'll yes good like gifs that everybody's sharing whatever and one of the biggest things on Twitter that I see nowadays probably because I follow um, that helps make things go viral is Pitching Ninja.
0: Yeah, this is my um, exact approach.
1: Yeah, so this is where I'm taking Nate Pearson. Uh, Nate Pearson, I think, could go viral in that way because as you guys mentioned before, the guy can hit triple digits. Um, there might be a moment, the Jays are really good at this at pumping him up in terms of here's what 102 miles an hour sounds like. Like the Jays could do it, Pitching Ninja could do it. They could do it with a tail, uh, pitching ninja will post a lot of gifs in terms of like this is what it looks like when the pitch is coming in they'll do overlays his slider has gotten really really good anytime you talk to Nate Pearson he's going to bring up his change up very quickly so seeing an overlay of him hitting 100 miles an hour on the black and then him hitting mid 80s with that change up almost the same spot and making hitters look foolish that's one way to go viral um, you know he might not be out there pulling something like Uh, you know, Marcus Stroman doing a strut off the mound or something like that, uh, which is very fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for strutting off the mound. Uh, But I think Nate Pearson's just absolutely nasty stuff and having an engine to, you know, produce that viral marketing, like uh, pitching Ninja, I think is just the perfect like ingredients, the perfect concoction to make him be a big Twitter star in that way. So, so keep an eye on that uh, this year for sure. Uh, Who's next on this, Tyler? I went same philosophy uh, with Mackenzie
0: Gore, the, the the vehicle that is Pitching Ninja. Remember back in the early days of the Colbert rapport when there was the, the Colbert bump? I feel like we have the Pitching Ninja bump. Like nowadays, so many baseball fans know uh, the names of KBO pitchers because Korea obviously has been playing baseball for months and Pitching Ninja has been uh, showing us you know, some of the most ridiculous things uh, that have happened on mounds. And uh, recent months since we haven't gotten a chance to really watch anything uh, of a, a comparable level anytime recently. But um, yeah, I think, you know, the the ridiculous depth in that Padres system, uh, he is the guy at the forefront of that system. So I'm going with uh, with Mackenzie Gore. Kelsey?
2: I uh, decided to go with Taylor Tramiel at the Padres. Uh, I know he introduced himself to fans at two Futures games. One a couple of years ago, he thought he hit a home run, but then it, was not, so we had to get on his horse and run, and he kind of had a laugh about that, um, and then the last year, he tried to steal home, uh, and again, like just being on camera, he his presence, and that, you know, always says the right thing in a funny way, and everyone enjoys that, um, and then on top of that, he is known to rob a home run here or there. He has the power. He has speed. Um, I think that that's part of it, the personality, as much as you know, the strength. I think that a lot of these viral uh, highlights are a really cool play or a really big strikeout. And then you get to see the personality with the bat flip or with the fist bump or like dancing or something, I think is something that people really like. Um, and then on top of that, you know, Taylor Trammell is another guy who has been trying to figure out how to use his platform for social justice right now. And he recently said that he will be standing during the anthem out of respect for his family who's in the military if he's not putting his hand over his heart um, as a silent protest. So I think that is, you know, he's creating his own path while still trying to be a voice for others. And so I think that, again, being someone that people get to know better and people like and they like his personality and they see where he's coming from, I think that will lead to even more excitement when he makes that home run robbery or that crazy home run. Um,
3: so you all had, I admire all of your. Approaches and and strategizing there, um, I think. The, yeah, I, the personality factor is big. The the pitching nature factor is is wise also. Uh, I but you know I'll I'll just say two words, Derek Hill. Um, hmm. I think if Derek Hill. That's a very
2: good
3: one. Hmm. Derek Hill plays three big league games. You'll get at least one unbelievable catch. Um, if he plays many more than three big league games, you'll get several unbelievable catches. Um, yeah. Derek Hill, and and there, yeah, he's like, it's you know, we we got the Superman catches, we've got like the Willie Mays basket catches. Derek Hill is an incredible outfielder to watch. To watch. Uh, he does do it play all. Defense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good selection. Um. All right, we are down to our final category and that is the World Series champion for the weirdness that is uh, the 2020 campaign. And we're gonna start uh, in a city that may end up being home to that, uh, that designation and that's with Josh Jackson. I World guess Series, anybody series is in season. a city that may end up home to that designation except for me, probably, right? Is that what we're... Aww. Anyway,
3: go for it, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should say so because my World Series winner prediction for 2020, is Casey Golden. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm... I we all win! <laughs> I, think, I think the Dodgers are, uh, are finally going to do it. I, it's, a, it's a short enough season that um, maybe they'll be able to pretend that the playoffs are the regular season. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll finish the job.
2: Yeah, I uh, picked the Dodgers to lose the World Series. Um, and I ended up going with the Yankees. But both the Yankees and Dodgers have been so close in recent years. Um, and like you said, hopefully, you know, because it's so short, it will feel like the regular season. I know the Yankees' bats have just kind of gone cold right uh, in the CS and right when they need them most. So I think that that uh, will come alive in that short season. Plus, Gary Cole is ready to win the World Series. He's, a, he's coming for vengeance.
0: Okay, um, I uh, just feel like 2020 lends itself to one of three teams winning. Um, I'm going to save my selection for last. Uh, the the Dodgers, because of many of the reasons that Josh said, I feel like in a, a season where things are strange uh, and it's short, that team is so good. You know, they had a, a stretch uh, a couple years ago where they went what 49 and 11, 48 and 12 over 60 games. 47 and 13, something like that. Um, They have the ability to just be absurd this year. Um, Atlanta, the only World Series title in the history of the city of Atlanta came in a shortened season. That was in the strike shortened season of 1995. So maybe there is some uh, historical merit, but I feel like, uh, and this is going to be my hottest take of the podcast, given the way everything in 2020 has gone and, uh, and largely for the last few years, I feel like the Houston Astros will win oh. the world series in 2020 oh, because, uh, oh, that, uh, eh, eh, you
1: know, it would be kind of fitting, Sam, just, just the discourse that would happen and the discourse I am saying <laughs> the with takes, the yeah. takes yeah. Yeah. that would, yeah. It would just be so exhausting. But, like, <laughs> can you imagine all the Houston fans would just be like, yeah, we won, and we yeah. didn't cheat because it was a silent stadium. You and
0: I mean. uh, and would it not be the most fitting 2020 thing? Like, it would be the most apt conclusion
1: to 2020. Uh, it would be. It, it would <laughs> – yeah. I mean, it would be a great distraction. I'm going to be honest. Like, the, <laughs> turning the takes to should the Astros really be World Series champions would be most welcome – in this year, especially when the World Series will be happening in October and a certain big American event will be happening a month later, I I will welcome our Astros overlords if the Astros win the World Series and we're just talking about that for a month. Um, Thanksgiving? Yes, Thanksgiving. Yes, that is
0: my favorite holiday.
1: Yeah. Um, Anyway, so my pick is going to be the Rays. I'm going to go with the Rays. Ah! Sure. I knew it. I knew you were gonna be you know the twins. Do
2: All
1: you ever right. see like, like in cartoons, like when Tom and Jerry or somebody like that is making up their mind, and then it just dings to the other side? I had the Dodgers and the Rays literally going back in my head, and I just I hit it back to the Rays. Not, I like it. And I'm not saying World, World Series MVP Wander Franco is going to be the difference, but um, but you're not saying he's not going to be the difference. I'm not either. saying he's not going to be the difference. <laughs> no, but it just the just MVP look at usually this. Usually, is the difference. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not saying Juan de Franco is going to win the MVP, but, or if he's even going to be on the team, I, I'm leaning towards no on that. But again, I, I go back to what I said earlier, the Rays I feel like are most equipped to if somebody goes down, it's next man up that next man up is usually good and well positioned. You know, they, they're going to, there's a team that's already experimented with five infielders and two outfielders. I think if they put Kevin Kierminer and, and Manny Margot, in the outfield, and that's it, and play a full season like that, they would make a lot more outs than you were expecting. Um, it, you know, Kevin Cash is, is very well-versed in tinkering and trying to make things work, um, featuring multiple lineups, multiple DHs. Uh, again, I, I like their pitching staff right now. I think if you have three strong pitchers like Tyler Glassnell, Blake Snell, and Charlie Morton, and Brendan McKay hasn't been with the team for a while, but he's looming. He would be the top prospect in most any other system that didn't have Wander Franco. Uh, once he gets healthy and back, he's another weapon for them. Uh, you know, It's going to be a crazy year. There's going to be a lot to happen, but give me a team that I think is well-equipped to weather that. And then I, the only reason I'm picking against the Dodgers is just because wacky things happen. I mean, the Dodgers were the favorite to win last year and it didn't happen and the Nationals did well because they had a couple really strong pitchers and they had a, a couple pop-up guys and Juan Soto became an all-world player. Uh, we could see that happen this year with the Rays. They have the pitching to do it. They have the prospects to do it. Uh, if it's going to be a weird year, it's going to be the Rays year. So give me the Rays.
0: I like it. That is a, that's a fun group of teams, I think. that it, uh, It's a fun group of selections regardless. Did somebody write all these down? Because I'm going to forget mine by tomorrow. And then I feel like by the end of the year I will need to be peppered with mockery with how wrong I was.
1: So we should. I always write them, them down when we come to the end of the year because I think it's more fun to revisit it then. If somebody yeah. at home is want, wants to write all this down and email it to us, podcast at MILB.com will welcome it and we'll Do definitely revisit this at the end of the season, which is a lot sooner than I would have hoped. When you think about it, yeah. the end of the season <laughs> months from now in mid October.
2: Well. I gotta say there's a lot, a lot of chalk, a lot more chalk than a schoolyard probably, but that's okay. We all are writers. we like to be right. So it makes sense.
3: Josh,
0: were you gonna make a point?
3: Oh yeah. I was
2: just gonna say that I
3: think somebody is, I hope somebody's recording it. So um, it's okay if nobody wrote it down.
0: <laughs> is that how these work? We're we supposed to, we're we supposed it's to be documented. Well, I thought in this some... was
2: just for us. <laughs>
0: We just hopped on a Zoom call, the four of us, like a uh, a cadre of nerds to talk about our predictions for the 2020 season. Um, but I feel like we got some good ones. I feel like we're going to be more right than wrong or either that or entirely wrong. Um, and, uh, you can follow along with us and, uh, the rest of this strange season uh, at MILB.com and of course at MLB.com as well as the major league campaign gets started on the evening of the 23rd of July. Kelsey Annigan, Josh Jackson, uh, big thanks as always to you two for joining us. Uh, and we'll, we'll do it again with something else sometime soon. I'm sure.
2: All right. And have a good day, night, whatever
0: whatever it
3: is. Josh, thanks. Thank you all for having me.
0: Coming up, uh, we are excited for our guest this week on the show before the show, and uh, we just wanted to give you a technical note. We're uh, actually recording basically everything this week uh, different, so this first segment may have sounded a little different. Our next segment will probably sound different. Uh, We talked with the top draft selection in the 2020 draft, the second consecutive number one overall pick to join the podcast over the last couple of months. Uh, It was Adley Rutschman a couple of months ago, and today, Spencer Torkelson, the top selection of the Detroit Tigers who will join us in just a little bit we had to record Spencer on kind of a conference call uh, sort of format so it may sound different than what our our interviews normally sound like but had a lot of fun catching up with the top Tigers pick who uh, arrived in Toledo and uh, was getting set for his very first workout in Toledo as a member of the alternate site squad for the Detroit Tigers Spencer Torkelson joins the show from the Tigers organization coming up
5: As an official partner of minor league baseball, Nationwide is here from life's first pitch to the seventh inning stretch. Whether you're looking for protection for your house, car, pet, or small business, Nationwide offers a wide range of products and support to make sure you're getting the right coverage for your specific needs. Visit Nationwide.com for more information on how we can help take care of what you have today and plan for what's ahead. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company, Columbus, Ohio.
1: We're thrilled this week to be joined on the Show Before the Show podcast, Minor League Baseball's official podcast, with a guy who has not yet played minor league baseball but will hopefully sometime next year. Uh is number one overall pick from this year, Tigers prospect, Spencer Torkelson. Spencer, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing?
5: Thank you guys for having me. It's a
1: pleasure. Yeah, no, this is great. So, so we're getting you at a, a really unique time. Um, we just mentioned off-air that you know, you've been reassigned to summer camp at Toledo, at the alternate site for the Tigers. Uh, so you're just about to get going there in just a manner of hours at this point. But you already have some summer camp experience now, obviously in a very unique situation. Take us through what summer camp has been like so far for you.
5: Summer camp was a lot of fun. It was so new. It was, it was almost weird, you know, uh, one, being able to play baseball in, like, a group setting, and then two, to be around, you know, Major League Baseball players and minor league guys that have, you know, been through it, have a lot more experience at that level than I do, obviously, coming out of college, like, three months ago. Um, so, yeah, it was a great experience, and, you know, I, I couldn't help but think of how lucky I was to get that opportunity because there's a lot of guys sitting at home wishing they were, you know, on at, at summer camp.
1: Yeah, and, and what was that kind of like welcome to, to the majors moment in that way? Because as somebody who got to work out of a major league facility, normally first-round picks, you come in, you, you get to do a press conference, you maybe take some BP, you get to show up, wave to the fans, and that's about it for your major league experience in the first year. You got to work out with Tigers players going against Tigers pitchers hit in the stadium for a couple of days there. Um, what was, what was like the welcome to the Tigers organization moment for you?
5: No doubt. Yeah. I think the welcome to the Tigers organization was like my first day there batting practice. Everyone was super nice. Uh, just meeting everyone, uh, all the major league guys, you know, saying hi and congratulations to me and, um,
1: already asking for 100 bucks it was all fun Fun it was fun and uh and and yeah so one of the big stories about this summer camp for you isn't just hitting major league pitching but it's also the move to third base jumping back a little bit to to draft night obviously you were expected to be the number one overall pick after putting up some big numbers at ASU and we'll get into that in a little bit uh but the Tigers announce you and they announce you as a third baseman what was your initial reaction to that and how has the work at the hot corner gone so far
5: to be honest when they announced me I didn't uh everyone my whole family and friends were freaking out so much and screaming so loud that all I heard was Spencer and then and then the rest was kind of a blur. The uh, first I heard I was a third baseman was like right before I got on a conference call with uh, Al Avila, David, Chad, Scott, Weiss and Alan Trammell. It was it was like my it was my buddy. He's like, "Dude, they announced you as the third baseman." I was like, "No way!" <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't hear. I didn't. I didn't, um, I, I didn't hear that first. So yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty funny. And then uh, on the conference call, we talked about it, and they trust my athleticism, and, and it's, it's going great so far.
0: Spencer, when you're in an environment um, like Detroit right now and you're working on something new like that, um, getting a chance to obviously work with uh, the, the Tigers coaching staff and jump into third base has got to be um, a, a very beneficial part of a transition. But this is such a strange year. Like, to to get into uh, a situation like summer camp and be learning, not necessarily a new position, because I know you played there a lot as a prep player, but um, to be doing it, you know, at Comerica Park and in Detroit and with the major league staff, what has that been like for, for this summer for you? Oh, it's such
5: a such a privilege to you know to learn third base like over again kind of because a, a high school third baseman and a big league third baseman it's not the same position almost <laughs> you know uh, so it's kind of like learning a new position because it's been a little bit but um you know you learn the ropes and you, I have a hall of famer as kind of like one of my personal infield co- coaches so um yeah, it's a great opportunity and I've already learned a lot and I can feel myself getting better over there and kind of transforming into, you know, the complete player that I want to be.
0: I know one of the things that uh, kind of the the scouting reports on you said before the draft is how hard you had worked over at first base to become so good over there. Um, what can you apply from the stuff that you you know learned in uh, you know whether it's at Arizona State or in the the Cape League or, or whatever, shifting over to the other corner? What kind of you know routines did you maybe establish, getting your work in at first, that now you can take over to? All right, well this is how I got to do it over here again.
5: I think the biggest difference is the drills are almost identical w- regarding, like, hands and, like, the paddle drill and the mini glove. You can do that at any infield spot. It doesn't matter, third base, first base, shortstop, second base. Like, it doesn't matter. The only – the biggest difference is once you get the ball is to keep your feet going towards first base or towards second base, towards your throw, because it's, obvious, it's obviously not a not a flip to the pitcher. It's, a, it's actually a hard, accurate throw So that's the biggest difference Which is coming along great
0: From the standpoint of getting to be around The big league guys um, When you are somebody who obviously comes in And they know a lot about you already um, what is, you know, the first time you stepped into to take some swings uh, at Comerica Park and you know you're in front of sort of the whole organization, are there extra nerves in that moment for you? You've been in, in such big spots already just over the last few years in your baseball life, playing in Arizona State and for Team USA and all that kind of stuff, but when you're in a moment like that, uh, in, in such a strange year, what, what did that feel like? Was it a little extra nervy? No
5: doubt there's nerves because you're kind of, um... Not, like you're not sure because everyone's told you how good you are, and then how, and then you don't truly believe it because you're going up these major league guys that you always put on a pedestal your whole life, and they're like, "No, oh, that's a big leaguer." And you know how do I hit batting practice next to a, a big leaguer? You, you, I kind of had to calm down and trust my ability, and just said, "Just just go out there and take a couple good swings because obviously the draft be number one; is going to be enough." So I had to tell myself to not really, to not try to do too much because sometimes when you're kind of overwhelmed in a situation like that, you'll you'll press, and that's the last thing you want to do.
1: Yeah. So do you have any kind of tips for slowing down a moment like that? I mean, part of you, I would imagine, would want to appreciate being in a major league stadium and getting the chance to show, you know, why you were the number one overall pick, but you still have to get in your work and still try to improve as a hitter. What kind of tips? Or routines do you go through to kind of slow down a moment like that?
5: I think yeah, you do want to embrace what's going on around you. You know, you're Mayfair, you hitting batting practice at Comerica Park, which is you know a dream come true and it's uh, in its own. Uh, but for me, I like to pride myself on like the work ethic and being prepared. And so if you're if you're prepared, um, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So I, I felt. I felt ready for that batting practice and i just told myself uh you know you you know how many you know how many times you've hit batting practice this is just another day hitting uh just the field's a lot nicer Mm -hmm.
1: yeah no for sure and and just to jump back and just to jump back to your college career you raked every single year at arizona state You, you had slugged at least 700 each of your three seasons there Uh, you were somebody who went undrafted coming out of high school maybe you could have gone drafted if you didn't have a strong commitment to ASU but uh, you know at what point did you realize hey not only am I going to have a pro career here I could be drafted super high was it as early as freshman year was it that first year at Chatham was it team USA you know do you remember the moment thinking like oh man this is I am doing well enough here to to make myself go to the next level.
5: Um, I think maybe towards the end of my freshman year, when I had like twenty something home runs, and I was leading the nation in home runs, and no freshman's ever done that, and so that's kind of when I was starting to realize that I was kind of good, and I was like, "All right, then this is gonna this is gonna be fun," and I kind of just rode with it. Hmm.
1: No, fair enough, and. and- Extending that to this spring, obviously uh, everything got cut short this spring. You only got to show up for 17 games. You still slug 780. You hit six home runs in those 17 games. If the, you know, if all of this wouldn't happened, if we're on Earth two right now and in a parallel universe, uh, how do you think your junior year would have gone? What do you think you could have done with a full junior year?
5: Gosh, that, that my junior year was what my whole entire, you know, coaching staff and my junior class has been waiting for is you know we kind of struggled my freshman year and we we picked it up sophomore year and then my junior year our junior year was like we we're like the whole year is like this is the year this is the year that we we struggled freshman year for we didn't make it all the way sophomore year for it. this is what we like sacrificed everything for and then uh, they had it cut short it was pretty it was pretty devastating because uh, we felt that our team had the talent. Uh, you know, the kind of like the drive and the chemistry in all three aspects, you know, we could catch it, we could field it, throw it, and hit it. So we felt like we were on a a mission to Omaha. I truly believe we would have gone a long way with this team, with that team.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, and when you were somebody who had dominated like you did as a freshman and then dominated on the Cape and with Team USA, what adjustments had you made from freshman year to junior year do you feel like it, it was just you were consistent throughout your college career or what changes did you make uh, to, to make yourself bloom You know, from an 18-year-old to a 20-year-old?
5: I definitely evolved. I didn't change anything drastically as a player. I definitely evolved. Um, my defense got some hate my freshman year just because it was my new position at first. So I, I kind of let that fire me by the fire in me and worked my butt off at first base and then um, kind of I didn't want to. I wanted to have a good strikeout walk ratio, so I got more discipline. Like it was everything, just kind of evolved as as it went on. And then, of course, two within two or three years, you get of being in the weight room four times a week. You get stronger, and um, that, that helps out too. But it was kind of just the whole entire package evolving. I would say.
0: Spencer, let's go back to mid-March. We've talked to so many pro guys who were in spring training when when everything started to get shut down and canceled and everything. Um, you guys at, at ASU... Uh, you're riding a five-game winning streak. You're getting set to dive into to Pac-12 play um, with a series at home coming up against Utah. And then you'll get Arizona and Oregon State and Stanford. And you're getting you know right into that uh, the first stretch of the conference season. And then all of a sudden, the world goes on pause. Um, we've heard the, the situations from so many guys who are in camps in Florida and Arizona. For college players, what was it like for you guys when, when everything really went down? Because you, you finish off a series against Fresno State on Sunday the 8th. Your next game is supposed to be Friday the thirteenth, and that's really when everything kinda went to a halt. What was it like on your end?
5: Yeah, it was very weird because our I wanna say our game got rained out that Tuesday that was supposed to be against U of A. And it was that Wednesday they canceled the Utah series. So we were kinda weirded out. We were like, All right, I guess they're canceling a series, so We'll see you in two weeks. And then they canceled practice for the rest of the week. They were like, all right, this is weird. And then the, the following day, we uh, I, I was on Twitter ready to go to practice, and they're like, Omaha's canceled, College World Series canceled, Big Ten's about to opt out their season or cancel their season. So we knew if the Big Ten and the Omaha was canceled that that this is not looking good for us. And then, sure enough, our coach called a meeting and was like, uh, we might have to – cancel the season, boys, and we were devastated. And it was such a weird time because I've never had nothing to do in March or April.
0: When you guys as a, a group um, meet for a situation like that, obviously you're not going to be able to really process it in the moment, I would imagine. But um, I, I feel like, and this is you know kind of projecting, but I feel like your teammates probably took your journey from that point a little bit more To their hearts how much did it when you go as the the first overall pick in June and you look at you know the guys who are on your team and who are around you who didn't get to have that season this year what do you think that means to them and to the program that yeah 2020 has been mostly awful but look at where Spencer is he goes first overall he's in Detroit now he's going to Toledo what kind of impact do you think that had on on the guys around you at ASU you
5: know I hope I I hope it uh Helped everyone come to use things a little bit. I mean, because it was such a tough time getting our season canceled, and having the draft, I think, put some more, you know, good energy into the, the program because we had we had five guys drafted uh, in in the top five rounds, which is uh, pretty legit. So there's a lot to be happy about with that with the draft and having having really successful teammates. Uh, so. So, yeah, definitely having the draft was, was good for the whole entire program. I think it was good for the game because um, it gave people something to be happy about and teammates to root for. I didn't look at it that way, but, yeah, you're right. Having guys drafted uh, is uh, oh. a nice add-on.
0: I know the the night of the draft you said the, the first selection kind of came not necessarily as a surprise, but at least in the moment. You didn't get a call right before – you got picked, and then you see the news, and obviously everybody goes crazy, and you're on MLB Network, and you're on Center, and, and all that that night. But this this year is so strange in that, you know, ordinarily you'd, you'd get a call and, and figure out a contract, and then you'd be off to, you know, in the Tigers' case, to Connecticut or to the GCL or, um, you know, making your, your debut somewhere along the ladder. When the conversation starts with the organization after you get drafted and signed, how did they communicate with you what the plan was? I mean, I remember listening to, you know, a whole bunch of front offices talking with media right after the draft and saying, like, we're not really sure what we can do with these guys yet. How how did that conversation go of, okay, this is what our plan is, and then eventually to the point of, all right, we're going to bring you to Detroit?
5: Yeah, it was really weird because we didn't know what was going to go on. Um, I was talking to my agent, and it was all up in the air, really. Like when I, Like, after I got drafted, we were like, there's no rush to sign because there's nothing going on nothing was agreed upon yet um the commissioner didn't demand a season like he did and uh, yeah so it was it was really weird I was just working out and hitting and uh just staying ready just in case and then uh I was actually planning to go to Arizona to get my physical done I think that we're all going to do uh, like everyone was making it easier and going to Arizona for their physical, even though it's in Lakeland. The Tiger Spring training in Lakeland. And I was literally on my way to the airport getting ready to go to Arizona for a physical and then maybe sign there. And then I got a call from my agent saying, hey, uh, you're going to Detroit on Monday. You're going to get a physical. You're going to sign. And then you're going to be on the taxi squad. And it was like the second greatest phone call I've ever gotten. <laughs> 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 getting drafted so uh, yeah I turned around I was like five minutes away from the airport I was like thank god he didn't call me oh man like when I was on the airplane.
1: <laughs> fair enough and, and, uh, yeah how long does that feeling of being the number one overall pick like how how long does that last does that last weeks does that last hours after you hang up with MLB Network and, and Sports Center? I mean how long does that sustain you of just realizing like of all the players who could have been taken this year I was first. And how much can you, like, sympathize with with somebody like Casey Mize now, who's your teammate and somebody who will be with you in Toledo? You both have gone through that situation, which only a handful of guys in baseball have done so far. Yeah. Um, I I would say it lasted,
3: like, a week of just nonstop goosebumps and
5: chills just from, you know, the feeling. Like, you can remember, like, getting your name called. And my mom, like, every night, I'd be, like, I'd be in bed, and she's like, oh, you want to watch the recording of, like, hearing my name called? And she, she was fired up, and we'd watch that, like, a couple nights after the draft because it, it made her so happy. She would, like, cry every time. Um, but, yeah, I'd say it probably lasted, like, a week. And then, and then I realized, you know, it is so cool and it's such an honor, but, you know, now it's, now it's time to get back to work and get to where I want to be ultimately, you know? Uh, that's one milestone, now it's like
1: on to the next one. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. And, and in this uh, work with the taxi squad and you know, during your time at, at Comerica Park, you got to face a lot of really good Tigers pitchers. I know you got to face Mize for a time in, in batting practice and in simulated games. What is your scouting report of some of these young arms that the Tigers have now who are going to be your teammates and you're going to face more of now that you guys are all in Toledo?
5: Yeah, I think one phrase that I on the scouting report that I put for all, all like all of them in big bold letters is just really good. Cause that's like <laughs> all you need to know. Is <laughs> is like they're all very very talented and they have big league stuff and they're not even in the big league yet, which is incredible. So I'm excited to see all the all the pitchers and players develop because uh, they're definitely on the right track.
1: Is there anybody that surprised you, like somebody you heard about beforehand, read about, you know, in various p- prospect publications, or, or heard about from your time in college, and now you get to see them on a daily basis, and you're like, "Wow, this is even better." Um,
5: not a prospect, but uh, Miggy.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. well, there you go. You know, kind of, uh, you
5: know being a, being a Giants fan. Growing up, I remember the 2012 World Series when the Giants played the Tigers. And, you know, Mickey, friggin', he won the Triple Crown and uh, had great seasons with the Tigers and even the Marlins. Um, and so you kind of idolize him. And then to be on the same field with him, I was playing third base and he was up to bat. I was like, is this, is this real life right now? Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm 12 still watching him in the World Series, but here I am playing with him. So it's really cool. It's a really cool experience.
1: Neat. Yeah. and uh, As somebody who is now going to play in Toledo, like we said, your, your workout, first workout there is only a few hours away. As somebody who will get to play at Toledo someday, maybe as early as next year once minor league baseball restarts again, are you somebody who takes notes on these parks and, and are, you're going to try to remember the experience for next time? Is this just such a unique experience that you kind of toss it aside? I mean, what, what's your approach to playing in a park, either this or Comerica, where you could be your home someday?
5: Uh, you know, I try not to think that deeply into it. I like to keep it simple and be like, all right, it's still 60 foot, six inches. It's still 90 foot, 90 feet to first base. You know, it's still the same around the same dimensions. It's baseball, but I, I would probably, I probably take notes about like restaurants and good places to go eat around the, uh, around the town just because, you know, I am going to be here one day in, in, in Detroit. So, um, Nothing nothing crazy or spontaneous, but, yeah, I I definitely take notes. I don't just throw it to the side.
1: Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, so we usually ask guys at the end of interviews, and we've got one more after this, but we normally ask them, what's your favorite minor league moment? You don't have a minor league moment yet for obvious reasons, but you are a big power guy. Like we said, you hit a lot of home runs at ASU. Uh, What has been your most memorable home run? of your career or even life going as far back as little league or high school, uh, what's the most memorable homer you've got?
5: Wow. That's a great question. Um, gotta be, I, I hit a walk off home run my sophomore year and that was really cool, but I'm trying to think it might, it might be the walk off. But I also have a favorite home run that get it was freshman year um it was my twenty third it was at University of arizona um on a thursday or friday and it was it was a bomb and that was one of my favorite college homers.
1: Do you ever find out how hard you hit it or how far you hit it uh i
5: don't I don't know it it went really far <laughs> yeah it's, it, it was it was my twenty third home run of the year freshman year it was it was one to one to watch, one to remember.
1: It's how it feels in that situation, I think, more than anything. All right, we'll, we'll end on, on yeah. these two. Uh, you are in uh, at the alternate site. You are literally one step away from the majors at this point, which is not something that's usually said about first-round picks a few months after they're taken. Uh, how close to the majors do you feel right now? And, and if the Tigers were to call you and say, hey, listen, we want to get your feet wet, uh, let's call you up. How ready do you feel for the majors right now?
5: You know, I always feel ready for anything thrown at me because I feel that I work so hard that you can throw me in any any situation and I'd, I'd succeed. So um, I don't want to step in on any toes and say, you know, I'm, I'm ready right now. But, you know, I definitely have things to work on in my game and adjustments to make in, in pro baseball. But, yeah, I feel like I'm right there with, with them.
1: Do you feel like you would be more ready if if they announced you as a first baseman and you were at the position you've been working the last few years? You could slide right in. I, obviously, maybe getting some some time there blocks things a little bit. But uh, how much does the d- defensive change fi- figure into that for you?
5: No doubt, that's probably the biggest. That's the biggest change. If yeah, if I if it was just first base and uh, some touch ups there, I'd definitely be more ready. But working, I like I enjoy working hard and. And third base is just another challenge, and it's going to be really fun once I get really good at it. So, it's,
1: uh, it's a it's a good time. Cool. And we'll wrap on this one. Whenever you get your first major league at bat, maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, maybe it's two years from now. Uh, how do you envision it? What what are you going to do as you're stepping up as you're in the batter's box? Uh, and what do you think the the result will be?
5: Gosh, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm going to try to keep it simple because I'm, my heart's going to be racing. Uh, So I'm going to just calm myself down and say, you know, seed ball, head ball, and, um, you know, put a good swing on a good pitch because that's what it comes down to. If I overthink it, I'm not going to do too hot. So um, I'm going to keep it simple when I'm up there.
1: All right, cool. Well, Spencer Torkelson, first overall pick this year, newest – Uh, top Tigers prospect. Thank you so much for joining us. All the best during your time at the alternate site in Toledo. Maybe we'll see you this year on a major league field. We'll we'll see, but thanks so much for joining us in the meantime.
5: Thank you so much.
0: This is uh, weirdly going to feel like an almost kind of normal sort of uh, minor league season season conversation with Benjamin Hill coming up here uh today and we will explain why in uh in just a little bit hey
4: Ben hello Tyler and hello Sam uh this is the second time I've conversed with Sam today uh because it's national hot dog day and uh Sam ate the wackiest leaner in uh in minor league baseball on Instagram live and it was a really big moment and now just hours later here we are recording this segment it's a big Sam Dykstra day for me Sam what is the condition
0: of your your digestive tract at the moment can you explain to people what was on the hot dog
1: Okay, yeah, I will do that. First off, to answer your first question, I just ate one hot dog. So the idea of like my digestive tract, it anything was, it was a wholesome lunch. Well, just put
0: yeah, it I mean, minor league, minor league food options, you know, we posted on Instagram that hot dog that the, the Hillsborough Hops, I believe, have, which is like M&Ms and like a strawberry puree and a hot dog and ranch dressing. I don't know what's on it, but it seems uh, horrifying, actually. The, the one you had, though, I think was a lot more normal. <laughs>
1: It was a lot more normal in terms of the uh, the ingredients all worked incredibly well. So it was a bun, obviously. It was with a applegate hot dog, bacon, uh, nacho cheese, jalapenos, pico de gallo, and French fries.
0: Okay, that sounds um, amazing.
1: It was it was very good. I got to say, um, if there were any problems with it, it was like the fries were a little too mushy, okay. um, which is I think was my own fault and the fault of my oven, which I've said before is circa 1937. Um, And I'm not fully joking on that. Uh, But the, no, everything else really came together. Well, the, the crunch of the bacon was good. The jalapenos add a little bit of acid and a little bit of, you know, heat to it as well. And the Pico de Gallo certainly did that. Um, No, it was good. I would recommend it. Like there should be, we asked, we talked about this. You and i Ben, on, on the IG live. Like there should be a minor league team that makes that hot dog. It would probably do decently well.
4: Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, it it was, we built it today, you know, through Applegate as the, you know, the wackiest wiener. I don't think it was so much wacky. was just like a really solid concession item, uh, you know, uh, for any minor league team. Um, But maybe we can name it. We'll come up with a name for it. Um, Something Sam Dykstra related, I'm sure.
1: That's, that's okay. We don't need to go deep into that well. Thanks to his dirty dog. No, oh, no. See, this is this is already sounding horrendous. Nobody would buy that. <laughs> we need to make it sound appetizing. Nobody would buy that. Tyler, is there like any Denver hot dog takes? Like you know how Chicago is is big on a certain brand of hot dog, and
0: New York um, has its own thing here. No, uh, there is a there's a stand at Coors Field right behind home plate that serves a, a variety of hot dogs, and they claim one of them to be like the Denver dog. And it's got like green chilies and some other stuff on it. But the state of Colorado has just stolen green chili from New Mexico and claimed like that it's our thing and we invented it, which I'm obviously very pro Colorado, but uh, that's that's some food thievery for us to be all, oh, green chili's our thing. It's a New Mexico thing. But um, yeah, we're not, I feel like cured meats of that sort are very much an East Coast thing. Like I don't, I don't really see it the same way like when you go to you know well i mean i guess a dodger dog but like if i go to san diego i'm not like oh, i gotta try one of those hot dogs at petco park like i just it's it seems to be a lot more of a an eastern regional thing i don't know why maybe i'm wrong with that
1: i, I guess i've never thought about it that way i think dodger dog is a big reason for that like yeah I, when you have one of the big staples of hot dogs on the west coast that but um, yeah, I mean, it could a be Dodger ar- dog.
0: Basis, I think it's basically just a hot dog, right? Like I've had a Dodger dog. It's just like the name. It's sort of like when we were talking about the Curve burger. It's like, oh, there's not really anything to differentiate. This is just the name of the burger.
1: <laughs> it's like yeah, or, right or a Dodger fenway dog, Frank.
0: Like, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I guess that's before people were, you know, putting cotton candy on hot dogs or whatever they're doing in the Northwest League. Get crazies. Um, but that actually segues us quite perfectly into our first of uh, a few topics of discussion with Benjamin Hill, who continues along with the uh, the minor league did you know edition about each circuit and uh, dove into the Northwest League this week uh, with some stuff that is like sort of unbelievable. Like the Boise Hawks once had a player released because the manager determined that he had essentially read that he should release the guy in the Bible with the guy also reading the story. Uh, There's some, there's some interesting ones in the Northwest league, Ben.
4: Yeah, there are. There's interesting things any everywhere. And I I really had a lot of fun with the Northwest league. This is the anti penultimate. Let me try that again. The anti penet. Nope. Let me try one more time. <laughs> Penultimate edition of uh, the Did You Know series. Of course, that means uh, third from last. I don't have to tell you that. And by you, I don't just mean Sam and Tyler. I mean, everyone listening, everyone knows what that word means. Anti-penultimate edition, the Northwest League. Uh, Tyler, you were mentioning Boise. Yeah, that was the Boise Buckskins, a team that uh, existed for one year, uh, 1978. And that's the kind of funny thing about uh, these lower levels, these lower level leagues in the 70s and 80s it was kind of a lot more of a wild west type scenario with co-op teams, meaning teams uh, comprised of prospects from two or more systems uh, or just indie teams within otherwise affiliated leagues, you know, popping up for a year or two. And uh, you see a lot of that when I was like poking around the Northwest league for fun, weird things. Uh, You see a lot of that in the Northwest league and the Boise Buckskins were one such team. Um, The general manager, Lanny Moss, uh, you know, one of the first female general managers in all of professional baseball. She was in the movie, uh, the battered bastards of baseball about the Portland Mavericks, also an ind- independent team in an affiliated league. She went uh, to Boise and was the owner-operator of the short-lived Boise Buckskins. And her manager Jerry Kraft uh, was a deeply religious man, and uh, the general manager and manager would read the Bible together and uh, kind of to discern inspiration over, uh, you know, what kind of player personnel moves to do. And and uh, Jerry Kraft, the manager, had all these quotes about you know, God telling him that the team would lose the game in the seventh inning and therefore he should, like, you know, rest his starters or whatever. Um, Really just goofy stuff. And it just, you know, 1978 is quite a long time ago, but it's just kind of funny to think about that kind of uh, team and players and coaching staff existing in minor league baseball, even as recently as 1978. It just seems uh, ripped out of a whole other era.
1: Yeah, and, and, um, you know, one of my favorites here, too, is, Uh, The fact that, um, who is it? I think it's Everett has a mark outside the stadium for Ken Griffey Jr.'s first professional home run, but it came against Everett. Uh, Can you think of, like, any other minor league stadiums that honor an opponent in that way?
4: Yeah, there's got to be something if we think about it. I mean, this instance in Everett kind of comes with an asterisk because – Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, 1987, he was 17 years old. He had his first ever professional home run. Uh, He was a member of the Bellingham Mariners, and he hit it in Everett, you know, against Everett. And in Everett, they still nonetheless have a plaque um, saying where this uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s first home run landed. But then you also have the fact that, you know, he was a Mariners affiliate. I mean, he was a, he was a Mariners prospect and Everett was in Washington. So I'm sure you had a lot of, you know, Mariners fans in Everett watching. And then since then, uh, at this point, for the better part of two decades, Everett has been a Seattle affiliate. So when you go to see the Everett Aquasox and you know, there's a home run commemorating Ken Griffey or a plaque commemorating Ken Griffey Jr.'s first home run, I think your natural inclination would to think, Oh, he hit it as a member of Everett because they're they're a Seattle affiliate based in here in Washington. Uh, but the fact was no. They were a Giants affiliate when Ken Griffey Jr. hit that home run. And uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was a member of the, I don't know if they were hated, but the rival Bellingham Mariners. So uh, it is a kind of strange scenario, but it's a really cool plaque. I mean, it's just a plaque on a sidewalk outside of a Class A short season ballpark. But I still think it's really cool to think, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., the iconic player of, uh, you know, of, of, of a whole generation of baseball fans. You know, he started there in the Northwest League, and his home run was hit there in that location. Um, and it's just a cool thing to think about and see and go see the Everett Aqua Sox and check out that plaque. I'm commanding you.
0: There are some uh, some other really good facts. The Northwest League's only eight teams, so we don't want to ruin too many of them. But uh, the uh, the Spokane Indians have a baseball card set that you will really want to read about uh, that Ben discusses. It was it was shot uh, in a mall this is actually for a few straight seasons, 1987 to 89. They uh, shot their their team cards in a mall and the mall sponsored the cards. And it's not like, oh, they set them up in front of a baseball backdrop. It's like they have players like in a department store. Bruce Bochi is in a tobacco store. Uh, Steve Lubrovich, who I believe was the manager at the time, uh, was standing with a cardboard cutout of Whitney Houston for some reason. So do yourself a favor and go read that story about the, uh, the Spokane cards from 87 to 89. Um, okay, we talked about how this is going to feel like a semi-normal conversation. and That is because uh, last week, Ben uh, had a promo preview up on the site. And this is something that we talked about in last week's episode. There were so many good promotions coming up for uh, this past weekend of what would have been the minor league baseball season in 2020, that Ben essentially wrote a promo preview, one of his regular columns during a normal season, uh, kind of in the mindset that, oh, we're in an alternate universe where we're not being ravaged by a pandemic and the season is still going on. And it's, I have to say, almost made me emotional reading feeling like oh yeah remember this remember the the normalcy that this all felt like of like oh the guy who played Stanley Hudson on the office is going to be in Fort Wayne this weekend and the guy who played Jay Peterman on Seinfeld is going to be in Frisco uh was this fun or was it
4: weird or both uh it was it was definitely a little of both I mean of course to to um to you know, especially someone like me and, you know, you guys and a lot of listeners of this podcast, you are so deeply rooted in the minor league world and become so familiar with the things going on at the ballparks that, you know, to read about what would have been happening seems so natural. So on one hand, it's very comforting and fun, but then on the other, then, you know, your follow-up emotion to that is to think like, but it's not happening. And then that makes it so jarring that all these things we've gotten so used to are not there. So, you know, it's, it's bittersweet, I think is the word for it. And I might go back to, another promo or preview, promo preview or two uh, before the uh, season ends, uh, kind of looking at my spreadsheet and, um, you know, just thinking about what, what would have been and what could have been.
1: And kind of along those lines, you're bringing back one of your other normal features from a, a normal season in that uh, you're bringing back crooked numbers and not trying to imagine necessarily what would be a crooked number right now, although that would be a lot of fun.
3: That was made
1: up like 32 runs were scored in Fresno yesterday. This is what would have happened. Um, but you're looking back at some of the crookedest, most crooked, I guess we'll go with most crooked, most crooked numbers from the past couple of years for your story coming up this week as well, right?
4: Yeah, um, you know, crooked numbers is, I don't even know when I started writing it, but uh, back in 2008 or so, and it's appeared in various permutations uh, through the years. But essentially, it's, just, it's, it's always, no matter what form in which it has appeared, it's been devoted to uh, chronicling really bizarre on-field things, the crazy comebacks, the Insane stuff that happens, you know, in in deep extra innings, position players pitching, you know, quirks of the rule book, you know, animals on the field, strange ejections, what have you. Obviously, in the minor leagues, there's a lot of that. And uh, on the heels of writing promo preview, I thought, you know, I want to do some crooked numbers stuff, too. Yeah, Sam, you're right. I can't really uh, write about what would have been because that's a little different thing than uh, writing about promotions. We have no idea what would have been on the field in 2020 and what crooked numbers we might have seen. But I did go back, and uh, it's fairly random, I will admit. just I just chose one of my favorite uh, tidbits from each of the last seven seasons. And, uh, you know, if this goes well, I can do it again. And as always, um, I like people to share, you know, their favorite weird moments from uh, minor league baseball games, the things that, you know, where that you shake your head and just say, uh, you know, I can't believe I saw that. So, of course, hit me up on Twitter, at Ben's Biz, and, uh, you know, whatever other channels in which you would want to communicate with me. And uh, this story, I think people will have some fun with it. There's a a lot of goofy stuff. I mean, Tyler and Sam, we were talking, um, you know, before we officially went on the air, but I was talking about how this story includes uh, that time in 2016 when there were uh, the Pacific Coast League, which hadn't seen a tie for uh, over 20 years, uh, had two tie ball games in a span of 80 minutes. And, you know, just that feeling of like, wait, what? And then remembering it, and uh, it's fun. If you're into minor league baseball, it's fun to think about, crazy things like that, or that time in 2017 when uh, the Gulf Coast League Cardinals uh, threw back-to-back no-hitters in games one and two of a doubleheader, and those were the only no-hitters in the entire league that year, that sort of thing, you know, it's fun.
0: Target numbers is really fun. Uh, so be on the lookout for that on the site at MILB.com. Uh, you can find all Ben's stuff at MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. And Ben is on Twitter with the same handle at Ben's Biz. And uh, Ben, great, great work on the, the promo preview. It was very nostalgic in a weird way and can't wait until we're back to some normal ones of those. And uh, and thanks for coming on, man. We'll talk to you next week.
4: Yeah, thank you, Tyler. Thank you, si- Sam. Um, Sam, I almost called you Siam. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, let me try one more time. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. Happy, happy. I can't not talk at all. Anti penultimate.
1: Nailed it. Good work. He's afraid to say anything else.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm done. <laughs>
0: show uh this week this is gonna be like a two hour long show you're welcome america uh we're actually finishing recording on opening day the uh nationals and yankees are set to to hook it up in i don't know eight hours and 20 minutes or so uh, so we're excited about that, obviously, as I'm sure all of you are. Uh, and for minor league baseball fans, hey, you can train like the baseball pros. You could win a personal one-on-one virtual workout with Detroit Tigers strength coach, Ryan Maydell. Enter by Friday, July 31st. Visit MILBFanLounge.com for more details. Tyler Mons, Sam Dexter wrapping up this week's episode of the show before the show, the official podcast of minor league baseball. And Sam as this week's nationwide prospect fun fact.
1: Yeah, so since we had Spencer Torkelson on the show this week, I thought we should do a number one overall pick. Fun fact. Um, so through the great people at Baseball Reference, I went back and looked at the top five uh, number one overall picks all time in terms of war. Uh, Tyler, you want to guess any of the top five? I'll give you three guesses.
0: <sighs> Wait, give me, the, give me the qualifications for it's this. It's literally kind of just
1: one. the number one overall picks of all time.
0: Just the top war of number one overall picks of all time. Exactly. Ken Griffey Jr. Ken
1: Griffey Jr. is third, 83.8. Okay.
0: Um, uh, it's going to be a bunch of names that I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I don't know. Give me these.
1: I'm okay. intrigued. All right. All right. Well, Griffey was, I, I think, the easy one, so I'm glad you got that one. Number one, Alex Rodriguez.
0: Ah, yeah, I should have gotten that one, too. Yeah.
1: A-Rod, 117.5 war. Wow. I mean, we talk about how great he was as a player and everything that comes with and, uh, you know, all the uh, suspensions and and, uh, steroid allegations, some of which he's confirmed. But, um, yeah, A-Rod, number one, 117.5. Absolutely insane. Number two, Chipper Jones. Okay. At 85.3. Obvious Hall of Famer. Ken Griffey Jr. is third at 83.8. Then there's a big drop. So, Griffey Jr. is 83.8. Next guy is 55.3. This guy is another probable Hall of Famer, I would say. Joe Maurer. Okay. Of your Minnesota Twins. And number five, I would not have guessed this one. I'll I'll say this. He might be passed in a couple years. uh, But number five, as of now, Adrian Gonzalez at 43.6. Uh, drafted huh. first overall in the yeah, i would not have
0: i would not have put agon in the top five no nope. conversation
1: nope. just after him is daryl strawberry david price and hall of famer harold baines so uh an interesting mix of names there and, and it's funny to think about like who gets to be a number one overall pick and why guys are taking it at that spot and it, it's not always a, a guarantee that you're going to be a great player um you know looking back at some of this list chris benson was number yeah. one overall back in 1996. Phil Nevin was was a solid player, but 15.9 more. You know, it, as much as we talk these guys up, Tim Beck, Beckham, Delman Young, Matt Bush, uh, you know, and the, the number of names we've known in the last couple of years, Mark, Mark Appel, uh, you know, out, out of baseball as of right now. Maybe he'll return someday, but uh, yeah, number one overall pick. It could be a sign of greatness, but it isn't necessarily always. So it's, it's just an, a good reminder. Um, But as of right now, big things ahead for Spencer Torkelson. Really excited to see what he can do once he finally makes the minor leagues. And like we said in the interview, potentially the major leagues in 2020.
0: The uh, stories that you come across, you know, for those of us who are not good enough to play baseball at high levels, but when you have encountered guys um, who did, uh, one of my favorite stories among all of my baseball loving friends is uh, my best friend from college, Greg Williams, who gave up a uh, home run to Adrian Gonzalez in high school in San Diego that he talks about as though it has never returned to earth. Like he, <laughs> he let it go, Adrian Gonzalez swung. He did like the jump turnaround on the mound to watch it go. And uh, as he describes it, it cleared like the fence and a street behind the fence and then like a row of houses behind the street. It was, it was one of those. Um, yeah, those are fun. I always like those conversations.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny normies to
0: normies being victimized by brilliant athletes,
1: <laughs> right? Or, or the opposite. Like, I can't remember who it was. I heard maybe it was Tommy Malone. I think it was Tommy Malone. Somebody on Twitter the other day was like, I went up against him in high school, never would have thought he would have been, uh, you know, a, a pro athlete, never mind a major league opening day starter. Um, but, you know, growth happens after high school, um, yeah. which is always important to remember and it can go in either direction. But yeah, yeah, much. I'm always here for those stories as well of guys just playing, especially if they play in a place that didn't have a fence.
0: Right, right.
1: And the ball um, literally just travels for days. Yeah, making, just forever.
0: Yeah. Um, have you ever, this is a very random question. Have you ever encountered anyone Uh, In your And obviously, we grew up in very different places. You grew up in a a smaller town. But have you ever encountered anyone in your MILB life that like, oh, maybe I came across you, you know, around the same time we were growing up
1: together, you played against each other or something like that? Because I actually have a story about that. Actually, the closest I've come to that was Nick Ahmed, uh, D-back shortstop, very athletic D-back shortstop, went to UConn. Uh, He went to uh, school in my area. And I knew him as a basketball player. Um, Nick Ahmed was like the best player in our region and I was a basketball player I I didn't play baseball in high school but um, I remember thinking oh like oh this guy's a really good defender he's very quick and obviously that translates incredibly well to shortstop I don't know if we ever crossed paths in AAU I like to tell myself we did I I know a guy I played with um, was good buddies with him so you know we would get updates every now and again but that that's as close as I've come to like facing somebody who was Leg- who now is a major leaguer and I could say like I saw him win because um, even then we knew he was going to be really good and, and going to UConn for us was a big deal because uh, that was a, a D1 program not too far away just an hour away um, but what is your story because this is what's so this has been leading up to
0: several years ago uh, I was on a call um, interviewing <laughs> Kirk Neuenheis uh, and I can't remember who he was with at the time I want to say that it was 2017. So I think he was in the Brewers organization, but you know, like you're doing your digging on Kirk Neuenheis and, uh, before you get a chance to talk to him on the phone. And, you know, he's from Santa Monica, California, and got drafted out of Azusa Pacific. But then I'm doing some, some looking uh, on baseball reference before I had talked to him, and he went to, like, one of our rival high schools uh, in the Denver area. He went to Denver Christian High School. I went to a, a Catholic school called Bishop Matchbuff, and um, D.C. was sort of the school that we could never beat in anything. Uh, and Kirk Neuenheis, who's a couple years actually younger than me, which makes me feel great. It's like a name that you've known forever, and I'm like, oh, I'm older <laughs> than you. Um, but yeah, we figured out that we actually played against each other in high school. He was, I believe, a freshman when I was a junior. And you know, he was a, a dude who made his big league debut in 2012. Like he was obviously much better than me. So as a freshman, I think he was playing varsity. Um, but we played each other for for a couple of seasons, which was really random. We did the interview and, um, and I got done. And I was like, by the way, you went to DC for high school? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's a match buff. And he was like, no way. And then we, you know, kind of talked for a few minutes. And uh but yeah, very, very random. Very random yeah. to, to have yeah. played against an athlete so much better than you.
1: <laughs> you got to lead with that stuff, though. You know I what know. I mean? Like, you got to...
0: And then it this opens is, up the conversations.
1: Yeah. Taking people behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah. Like, anytime you can make a connection with an athlete, you want to get that out ahead of time. Cause they just, they will open up to you in different ways. That is definitely like, oh, true. We do have a connection.
0: Um, I did do that with uh, Ty block is from this area who I, I know uh, is undergoing Tommy John surgery this year uh, and is going to be uh, out of the season, but he went to another uh, Catholic school in the Denver area, Regis Jesuit. And then Stephen Brault, uh, who is actually from California, he went to Regis University. Those two schools aren't really related, uh, but he went to Regis University, which is a school in, uh, in kind of on the north side of Denver. And I remember when he called, I was, uh, I was at the house of a, a lady that I was dating at the time. And uh, when we started talking, I was like, so you went to Regis, right? He was like, yeah. And I was like, dude, I'm like five blocks from Regis right now. And he's like, no way, I noticed your area code. He was very excited. <laughs> to talk about it. But it's kind of cool when we have those random connections Uh, to to some of these guys. I do not have any of those uh, with Spencer Torkelson. I did see him play at Arizona State a couple of seasons ago, and I was down there for for spring training, went to a a Sun Devils game and when things get normal if you are a person who goes to the Cactus League please go see an Arizona State game they play in uh, Phoenix Municipal Stadium the former spring training home of the uh, Oakland Athletics but they converted it it's this gorgeous mid-century modern desert gem uh, that's right in kind of the the center of town it's really easy to get to but Phoenix Muni is fantastic if you ever get a chance to go to to an ASU game they did a great job with uh, with making that into their home and my favorite fact about maybe any ballpark in baseball anywhere is that phoenix muni's light towers were driven to phoenix on a semi-trailer after they had been pulled down from the polo grounds before it was demolished so the light towers at phoenix muni are from the polo grounds which i love and uh you know it's one of those baseball things
1: yeah can you imagine if they had the polo grounds dimensions there too
0: yeah just built a bathtub in the middle of the desert. We have all this space, but let's sandwich this weird oval-shaped ballpark in here anyway.
1: Um, Really quickly, because we should wrap this up, and people have (laughs) spent so much time with us here leading up to opening day of the Major League season, but how many homers do you think Spencer Torkelson would hit? Because one of the things people say is that he's really good at using all fields. Yeah. So, if I mean, if he just pulled the ball all the time, he would probably hit 50 home runs in a – Easily. In a college season. But – if his strength is going up the middle, that would also reduce a lot of that, so
0: true um yeah, the extra base hits, I feel like would just be outrageous for spencer torkelson as a uh, as a hitter in college, he over his three seasons tallied fifty four homers and hit thirty three doubles uh I would guess he would have had at least seventy homers to seventy five homers in the polo grounds because you think about how many like you know flyouts. Uh, at a normal ballpark were like the eighth row in the second deck at the polo <laughs> because it was yeah, right. 248 feet or whatever it was down the line. Yeah. yeah I would think uh, it's like a 50% jump.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would, I, I just get fascinated by that stuff. And um, it's one reason I love baseball is, is the dimensions of different parks and how you're uh, you know, especially in the minors of how your bat or your arm plays in certain environments yeah. and how that doesn't exist almost in any other sport. Um But uh, that would have been fascinating. Bring it back. (laughs) Bring back super weird dimensions. Let's do it. I like it. It sounds fun. Visit the
0: MILB Fan Lounge, your destination for all things fun. Play home run derby and test your minor league baseball knowledge with trivia on Tuesdays, and there will be exclusive prizes given out to one lucky fan each month. Visit MILBFanLounge.com today. And that is going to do it for this week's lengthy opening day episode of the show before the show, but a big thanks to Spencer Torkelson and to Kelsey Hennigan and Josh Jackson as well. Benjamin Hill also our, uh, our weekly conversation with Ben, some great stuff, that crooked number story. Now that we're wrapping this on Thursday, uh, that's up on the site and you can go check out the crookedest numbers in the last several seasons. And, um, That'll do it. Enjoy some real baseball, everybody. Uh, take some time to try to forget about the world and just fall into something you love. The, the team that I follow, the Colorado Rockies, had a, their first exhibition game on MLB Network the other night, and it was weird and sort of painful watching a game with no fans, and yet it was baseball, and it felt great in a lot of ways. So uh, go enjoy it for your team, whether it's tonight, uh, Yankees Nationals and Dodgers Giants, or tomorrow when everybody else gets into the pool and uh, we, we hope that it provides you a smile and uh, something that gives you some happiness in a world where we can really all use it lately. So uh, for Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week.